0: Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life Miami here in Miami, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast, and I'm so glad you've chosen to listen to this. Over the next several weeks, you will be listening to a series called Stopping Jesus. And this is not intended to be a message where we say, Jesus, we don't want you to do anything, but it's where we say, Jesus, stop, see what we're going through, see where we are, and would you move on our behalf. I hope you enjoy this series. I hope it does something for your life and challenges you to live even more for Jesus. Is it clear that God has a purpose for this place? Yes. Is it clear that God has a purpose for you in this place? Amen, amen, amen. All right, so we're going to continue. We're week six, week six into stopping Jesus, and this is quite possibly the most intense message, the deepest, possibly the most difficult message to get through. Of these six messages so far, as we look at Judas' kiss. The moment in which Jesus stopped for his betrayal. The moment in which Jesus stopped to be betrayed. You see, we've looked at Jesus being stopped in so many different ways. He stopped for Bartimaeus, who was blind, who would now be asked, What do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus says, I want to see. And Jesus healed him. And through that encounter, we discovered that if Jesus stops for him, we must stop for others. And we looked at the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, and we discovered that if Jesus stopped for him and encouraged him to no longer have excuses as to why he can't be healed, we need or be used even, we need to not have any more excuses as to why God can't use us. And we looked at Zacchaeus and He seemed to be the most unlikely candidate. Not only did he not look the part, but he was a sinner of sinners. We need to realize that God uses the most unlikely candidate. And we looked at Lazarus, and we had to come to grips with sometimes it appears that God has moved too late, but realize that He never moves too late. He is always on time. We addressed that question, does God move too late? (laughs) Last week we looked at jesus wrestling with jacob or the other way around jacob wrestled with jesus and this wasn't just a five minute mat mat match but it was an all-night ordeal we discovered that we don't need to be self-made people but we need to have complete and total reliance upon jesus i'm looking at the basis for this series we look at isaiah 66 Verses 1 and 2, and it says this. Actually, Jesus says this. God says this very clearly. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of rest? And realizing that he's probably asking a question that has no true answer because none of us is capable of building something in which could house the very presence of God. None of us if the Bible says that he holds the universe in the palm of his hand could build something that could house the presence of God that would be grand enough or big enough or amazing enough that could build for him and I love that he goes to the next point in verse 2 and he says very clearly all these things my hand is made and so all these things came to be declares the Lord and let's go ahead and skip to Ephesians real quick before we come back to that latter part of verse 2 Ephesians 2.8 2, 8, 2, 8 through 10 clearly points a picture of grace. And I love this because God is saying, Who's going to build a house for me? And then we see very clearly here, For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and it's not your own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Next one. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, just as heaven being his throne, the earth his footstool, God, I could say, facetiously asks, maybe. I don't know, I wasn't there. But he, in my mind, is asking something that is unattainable. We also have to realize that salvation is unattainable without him. There are no works that we could do to earn salvation. So we see a picture here that God says, back in verse 2 of Isaiah 66, that all these things my hand has made. And we also realize in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, not a result of works that no one may boast for we are his workmanship you see the connection there and then wrapping it up in the latter part of verse two of isaiah 66 i know i'm jumping all over the place here between these two scriptures good thing it's easy to follow it says but this is the one whom i will look so we've established the fact that god's going to do a work but who's he going to look and i want to be that person i want to be the person to whom he would look and he says here i'm going to look at the one who is humble who is contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The one who says, I cannot do this. The one who is poor in spirit is really another way you could read this. The one who realizes that none of this is possible without the work of God within my life. The one that says, I am completely dependent upon you and I am hanging on or I'm trembling at or I cannot wait for your next word. And so that is where we get this stopping power, if God says this is the one whom I will look or whom I will stop for, then we can realize through these people that we've uncovered through the next few verses and chapters and stories that we've got people that Jesus would stop for, but then you would say, if we're going to look at Judas' kiss, how on earth is he this person and why would he stop for? And the idea behind this message today is it's not Judas that he stopped for, it was you and me. It's not Judas he stopped for, but it's you and me. But we're going to look at some observations from this story in the conclusion, or in the first conclusion. There will be two conclusions today, time permitting. But in the first conclusion, we will look at some observations in this story as through Judas, why Jesus stopping for him was stopping for all mankind. So let's look at that story, shall we? Starting with Luke 22, we're going to go look at both Luke's gospel, Matthew's gospel, and John's gospel as we peace This story together. Luke 22, and we're going to look through bits and pieces of 1 through 62. I'm not going to read all 62 verses, but in the end, we'll probably read more than 62 verses. It says, Now, the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him, this is Jesus, to death, for they feared the people. You see the timing at which They wanted to put Jesus to death. did not work out so well because they were afraid that everybody had come together to celebrate and they didn't want to tear or mess up their celebration time. For if they came in and captured Jesus and tried to put him to death, they might cause riots in the streets. So the timing just wasn't good. And so they were looking for a time in which they could take Jesus in peacefully or covertly, I should say, in a time when no one was around so that they didn't cause a major uprising. And then in verse 3 it says, then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who is the number of the twelve. So this is Judas, he's one of the twelve disciples, and can you imagine being described in the Bible as one whom Satan entered? This is a man who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, carried on with Jesus, sat by Jesus, was in charge of the money, the treasury for the ministry that Jesus had. If you recall when we talked about lordship, in the uh, following, I believe it was the following series, might have been anyway, another series that we did and we looked at the lordship and how none of us is immune to falling away and how we can establish if he's lord in our lives that makes all the difference in our lives but in here Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot who is a number of the twelve and in verse 4 he went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray them, I know this isn't up there yet but we will get to the verses that are up there And they might be glad and agreed to give him money. And so he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the crowd. Now, real quick, I know we're all over the place. I want to jump to Matthew for just a minute, 26. I said that we would look at Luke 1 through 62, but I lied. We're going to actually look at Matthew 26, 1 through 56 now. I just was going to look at Luke 1 through 6 so matthew 26 1 through 56 so there's the account of when judas was entered by satan and he agreed to betray jesus for a sum of money now let's look at the story again when jesus had finished all these saying he said this to his disciples you know that after two days the passover is coming and the son of man will be delivered up to be crucified so he's prophesying he's telling them this is what's about to happen The chief priests and the elders and the people gathered in the palace of the high priest who was named Caiaphas and and bottled together, plotted together, I don't know where bottled came from, plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. They said nothing during the feast lest there be an uproar among the people. Now I'm going to skip a few verses. This is the story where uh, the woman anoints Jesus' feet and Judas comes in and he complains because of the expense of the perfume. He's like, we could have kept that and sold it and taken care of a lot of uh, women, some widows. Of course, we knew that from reading and, and looking at previous messages that Judas's motive was not about that at all. And then picking up in verse 14, then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and he said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. Now, that wasn't a ton of money. It didn't take much to buy Judas. This was about the price that was paid for a common slave. Jesus wasn't worth much to Judas, was he? Judas didn't have a great revelation of who Jesus was. I'm getting the names right this time then in verse 16, and from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will we have this? Where will you have us prepare for you to eat Passover? And he said, go into the city and a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand, and I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And his disciples did as Jesus directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Verse 20, when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. Did you catch that? How many of them did he recline with? All 12 of them. Do you think, we know, we'll read here in just a minute, we know Jesus is aware of Judas's heart and his scenario, because we read out here in 21. And they were eating, and he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And as they were very sorrowful, they began to say to one another, Is it I, Lord? And he answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. And the Son of Man goes as, as it is written of him, and woe to that man whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better that that man had never been born. Judas would betray him. Who would betray him? Answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. So, in verse 20, it says, When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And then he goes on to say, One of you is going to betray me. Very important thing to realize. He was still sitting with the twelve. Now, skipping... Now to verse 45. This is the stopping moment. So Jesus has now gone into the Garden of Gethsemane. He has prayed. He has sweat blood. He has asked, Lord, if this cup would pass before me, that would be great, but not my will, but your will be done. He's had this exchange with some of the disciples that were with him, three of them to be exact, and they couldn't even stay awake. And he has this phrase, Could you not tarry? One hour? Couldn't you just stay awake for one hour? I'd like to say that to some people as they gather to hear sermons at times. Could you not stay awake for 35 minutes? And in verse 45, he says, He came to the disciples and he said to them, Sleep and and take your rest later. See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Seeing my betrayer is at hand. Isn't that interesting? He says... Here, he's coming, the one who would betray me. If you realize they had tried to stealthily take Jesus, try to sneak up on him, but Jesus sees them coming. He knows their intent and their purpose. He knows our intents and our purposes. We can't hide anything from him. There's no secrets. There's no hidden agendas or motives when we come into his presence. And while he was still speaking in verse 47, Judas came one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and elders of the people. So this is the moment Jesus stops for you and me. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying the one I will kiss is the man Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and he said, Greetings, Lord. Greetings, friend. Now he says, Greetings, Rabbi. He still hasn't figured it out, has he? And he kissed him. Now Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant on of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, This dude was a bad, bad, bad aim. Because I imagine the ear wasn't the target. I'm just saying. I feel like this is me. I'm going to meet you. Oh, your ear. I'm just going for your neck. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Now I want to look at that account in Luke for just a minute. We'll just jump there. I don't think this is going to be on the screen either. Luke 22, verses 47 and 52, through 52. It says, While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them, and he drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And then those who were around him saw what would follow, and they said, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And one of them struck with the servant with the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this, listen to this. And he touched his ear and healed him. You see, this is a picture of what Jesus would do for mankind because there's a scenario here where man would need to hear. They would need to hear who the king is. Now, not just a hearing that we are sitting in this room and you're hearing my voice, but a a true opening, a true revelation of who the king is is a moment like the disciples when jesus walked on water and revealed himself to them as king as the messiah as god sent as man this person here has now had an encounter with the power of god now we don't hear more we don't read more we don't see more about what this this soldier had encountered post ear cut off, ear put back on. But can you imagine in this moment how this man must have felt taking Jesus into custody? For he came to accuse only to be dealt with with the power of Jesus. And we're going to look more at that in my observations in just a minute. So going back now to Matthew's account. Verse 53, and this should be on the board. So Matthew Matthew's account. Verse 53. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father? I he' once send more than twelve legions of angels. So the ear's been cut off. He's healed the angel. Now he's looking at the masses and the multitudes, probably addressing Judas in this moment. And he says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled? that it must be so. Do you think that all of you are enough to take me by force, is what he's saying here? You see, he stopped. Not for Judas. Not for the multitudes. But he stopped for you and me. And then the next verse. And at that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching and you didn't seize me. Day after day, I was amongst the people demonstrating, and you didn't come after me. But all this has taken place that scriptures and the prophets might be fulfilled. And all the disciples left him, and they fled. Did anyone stick around? It says here all of the disciples. You see, every last one of us Every last one of us has moments in our lives as followers of Christ where we turn our back on Him. Every last one of us has moments in which we forget who He is in our lives, but He still stops for us. He still takes moments to pause. He still went to the cross for the disciples that left Him alone with the army, taking Him captive. He still went to the cross for Judas. Now, we'll read what happens to Judas later, but I believe wholeheartedly that the intention was for redemption even for Judas. So let's look at some random observations, and I call them random observations because they're not points that build upon each other. They're just that. They're random observations taken from this story that we can apply to our lives as followers of Christ as He stops in this story for you and for me and things that we can apply in our lives so that maybe we cannot be like the disciples in this last moment where we won't leave when given the opportunity to stand next to the One who stood for us. Where we won't flee when given the opportunity to stand and do something in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And see, I want to encourage you through these observations. I want to encourage every one of us as we've been talking for the last weeks and months about getting out of our comfort zone and approaching people with the love of Christ outside of these doors, outside of these walls. I want to encourage every last one of you to not look at it as I have to pray for everyone I encounter, but I want you to think about not fleeing on Jesus. And this week, pray for one person. Let's simplify it. Let's begin to pray for one person a week outside these four walls one person and i can tell you one will lead to three three will lead to ten and ten will lead to every opportunity you possibly can but let's just start with one let's get an attainable goal can we do that can we start praying for one person a week outside of these walls that we don't know and show them the love of jesus that he has shown for us for jesus in this moment again he didn't stop for judas he stopped for you and for me so let's look at these observations number one Satan knows our weakness. It's kind of a daunting thing to think of. But we read just a moment ago in Luke 22 that Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot. And he went and he talked to the chief priests. And what did they do? They offered him a sum that was just enough to buy a common slave but it was enough we know that Judas wasn't motivated by the miracles right did Judas experience the miracles that Jesus Jesus Judas, Jesus performed Did Judas encounter everything that the other disciples encounter? Yes. Did he see Jesus calm the storms? Did he see Jesus feed the multitudes? Did he see Jesus uh, reveal who he was? Did he see Jesus talk to Peter and say, Who do you say that I am? Satan knows right where to get us. Why it's so important to stay in the word, stay in fellowship, stay in communion, stay in community, stay in relationship with people that will allow us to stay close to Jesus and when the door is open for Satan to throw at us those things that are our weaknesses then in those moments we have those people that come alongside us we're no longer uh, singled out we're held accountable Satan knew judas weakness who walked right next to jesus i'm sure he knows ours too now don't let that freak you out just know what your weaknesses are discover them and when you know what they are keep them guarded share them with people and let them help you number two another observation judas wasn't innocent He wasn't innocent in all of this. Just because Satan came in and found his weakness doesn't mean poor Judas. We don't need to feel sorry for Judas. We know in Matthew 26, 15, it said, "What what will you give me to deliver him over to you? He went seeking out some price. We know that in John 12, 6, when Mary anoints Jesus' feet. We, th- we think it's Mary. When the woman anoints Jesus' feet, we have in t- verse 6, he said this, not because he cares, this is John 12, 6, he said this not because he cares about the poor when he said we should have just taken this, this ointment and, or this oil and we should have sold it. And it says he said this not because he cared about the poor but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself what was put into it he wasn't innocent listen we may not be innocent but we read earlier in ephesians that we're not saved by our works we're not saved because we're innocent he came to save those that aren't innocent amen amen that's good news that's really good news This one really, really got me as I was looking at this. Observation number three. Jesus still shows up, even in our sin. Listen, when he's moving and showing up around us, that is not an indication that we're doing right. I've known time and time again of ministries and ministers that their, their ministry was exploding. Churches were growing. Acts of God, signs and wonders were following them everywhere they went, but they were filled with sin. Extramarital affairs. I know one of the fastest growing churches in the United States, the pastor was an alcoholic and was recently removed from his church. Wow, this sure is encouraging, isn't it? Here's the cool thing. He's still showing up, and he's still trying to demonstrate himself to you. And he's still trying to say, hey, I want a relationship with you. He's showing up not to to encourage you that what you're doing is right. He's showing up to reveal who he is to you like he showed up for Lazarus. And Lazarus was in that moment discovered his, his weakness and he came to a place of repentance. The Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, not his removal of himself. Now his blessings might be removed but His presence is free for us. And in Matthew 26, 20, it said this in this story we just read that when it was evening, He reclined at the table with the twelve. Just before He pointed out to Judas and to everyone else what Judas would do, He was reclining at the table with the twelve. He wasn't just standing in the room. He was relaxed in their presence. He was fully there. He still shows up. But he desperately wants us, desperately wants us to deal with our flesh when he shows up. So I can tell you there's a fullness that we're missing out when he shows up, when our sin is getting in the way. And number four, safety is found in our lord in his lordship i mentioned earlier that satan knows our weakness and judas wasn't innocent but see here's the ticket here's the truth here's the moment that we can discover and figure out how to keep those first two things from really messing up who we are in christ and that's from that message that i preached several months ago and it's found in Matthew 26, 21 when Jesus, it says, as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And this, and they were very sorrowful and they began to say to one another, is it I, Lord? Of course, those that were saying that, it wasn't them. And 23 answered, he who dipped his hand in this dish will betray me. And the Son of Man goes as it was written to him, but woe to that man whom the Son of Man betrayed. It would be better that he had that man had never been born. And Judas, who would betray him, answered, is that I, rabbi, not lord, but teacher. He had no place in Judas' life as lord. He wasn't in control. And listen, when Jesus is truly lord, when he has lordship in our lives, when he has preeminence, when he has place in our lives, when we put him in that place where he has total control, then those doors, those buttons, those things that the enemy knows how to push no longer even available to push because we aren't living for us. We're living for Him. And then the last observation I want to make, which is pretty groovy. It's just one of those cool. It's just a cool observation. And it's this. Jesus surrendered in strength. He wasn't weak. He wasn't weak. He was strong. He surrendered in strength. Luke 22, 47-52 While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas. One of the twelve was leading them, and he drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But when he said to him, Judas, what, uh, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And one of them struck, we read this earlier, the servant with the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear, and he healed him. surrendered with strength even saying I could call down from heaven legions none of you can take me he offered himself when we look at the cross later on and he's upon the cross and he gives up his life and he says that phrase that Eli Eli suboxone of whatever I know I shouldn't have even said that because now I look dumb it's not about me it's about him Bible says he offered up his breath. He offered up his life. No one could take the life of Jesus. He gave his life. The Bible says for God saw the world he gave his son. No one could take Jesus. He was a strong sacrifice and he surrendered in strength. But you see, Judas wasn't the only one who turned on Jesus in this story. In my official close, Peter did too. Peter turned on Jesus as well. The, a, a interesting situation here in this passage of Scripture. Jesus looks at the disciple and says, One of you will betray me. And Judas has to kind of, One of you will, the one who dips his cup. But in that same passage, he looks Peter in the face and he says, But you will deny me. One of you will betray me, but Peter, you will deny me. The same story. In the same setting, you see Jesus still reclined with Peter. He still reclines with us. And in Matthew 26, 31 through 36, it says, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. Judas will dip, or will betray me. Peter, you'll deny me, but you all will fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered, it, answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So feel like Charles Dickens is writing this. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will, not, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Then in Luke twenty two fifty four, then they seized him, Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And then they had it. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. A little later, later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Peter said, Ma'am, I am not. It's number two. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Ma'am, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered, Jesus, looked. Peter remembered, saying of the, the, remembered the saying of the Lord, how he'd said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. I want to look at how quickly Judas responded to the betrayal and how Peter responded to the denial. In Matthew 27, 3 through 5, it says, When Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned and betrayed an in innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed, and he went and he hanged himself. It was it for him. We just read at the end of Luke twenty-two, verse sixty-two. Peter wept bitterly. Judas ended his life, Peter wept. Judas was not repentant. He wasn't sorry for what he was did, well for what he did. He just changed his mind. Peter was sorrowful, sorrowful for days. In John 21, after Jesus is already resurrected, he's died, he's gone into the tomb, he's alive and well, and they're seeing him, and, and Peter sees Jesus, and he is still sitting in his shame of denying Jesus. And in the Passion Translation, John 21, 15-19 Peter's been out catching fish again and Jesus has delivered them some fish. Peter disrobes from the boat when Jesus calls them to the shore and he swims. He takes off after Jesus and Jesus begins to feed them and says in verse 15, after they had breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me more than these? Pointing to the disciples that are around him and Peter said, Yes, Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. Listen to the difference. Jesus is like, do you burn with love for me? Peter's like, I have great affection for you. Peter is still sitting in his shame. If I burned with love for you, then I wouldn't have denied you. My actions have shown that I can't burn with love for you, but I have great affection for you. Jesus says, then take care of my lambs. Jesus repeated his question a second time. Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me? And Peter answered, Yes, my Lord. You know that I have great affection for you. And take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Then Jesus asked him, Peter, son of John, do you have great affection for me? And in this moment, something clicked in Peter. You can only imagine it had to because it says Peter was saddened by being asked a third time. You see, Peter denied Jesus how many times? Three. Jesus is setting the right, the course in which Peter had taken by not just once, Peter didn't just deny Jesus once. Not just twice does Jesus ask Peter about love. Peter denied Jesus not just once, but twice. This third time after Jesus says, Do you burn with passion? Do you burn with passion? Jesus now brings it down to the mode in which Peter can receive healing and repentance and forgiveness more than anything. And Jesus asks him again, Peter, son of John, do you have great affection for me? coming to where Peter was and Peter saddened and uh, being asked a third time, says my Lord, you know everything. You know that I haven't been truthful with the first two times you asked me. I just couldn't get past my actions. But you really know my heart. You know where I'm coming from. You know that I really do burn with love for you. Jesus replied, Then feed my lambs. Peter, listen, when you were younger, you made your own choices, and you went where you pleased, but one day when you're old, others will tie you up and escort you where you could not choose, and you will spread out your arms. Jesus said this to Peter as a prophecy of what kind of death he would die for the glory of God. He said, Peter, this is a repeat The first time he came across Peter now, and he says, with Peter in full repentance, with Peter sitting in a place of burning, passionate love for Jesus, he says, Follow me. You see, Peter denied Jesus three times, and Peter now is in a situation where he has loved Jesus verbally overcome his actions to the point that Jesus says, your actions now are going to show how much you love me. You see, we are not called to love Jesus based on our actions. Jesus is reminding Peter, I love you unconditionally. You can love me, not in your past, but love me today, and your future will now be written as one who loves me. And I ask you today in this place, are you going to approach Jesus based on what happened yesterday? Are you going to approach Jesus based on your destiny? Are you going to love Jesus based on how you treated him yesterday? Or are you going to love Jesus based on the fact that he still has a future for you? And a plan for you. You see, both Judas and Peter turned their backs on Jesus. Jesus. Both had some form of guilt. Judas hanged himself, but Peter was restored. And this is what I'm here to say today. What you did yesterday can either remove you completely from the saving power of Jesus Christ or what you do right now can restore you completely to your destiny. Well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. I hope it's challenged you and enriched your life. I hope it's helping you live a life closer to service with Jesus Christ. Hey, if it's done anything for you today, if it's meant anything, we could use your support. And there's several ways you can do that. First off, you can pray for us. Pray as we're doing our church plant here in northeastern Oklahoma that God is totally blessing all of our efforts. But also in the area of support, if you want to give financially to what we're doing, you can go to our website at wlmyama. Com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I dot com. And click on the Give tab and go through the process there to contribute. And also, if you are in the area near Miami, Oklahoma on a Sunday morning, why don't you join us for our live experience at 10 a.m.? We'd love to see you. God bless.